Man, just on the heels of uh, hearing the Shanks share, um, just really grateful for our church, just really grateful for our church and um, what God is doing in the life of the well, uh, even in probably one of the craziest seasons um, we've experienced this decade at least. Uh, So just praise God and thank you for our church uh, uh, to him uh, as he's just creating in us uh, a really sweet community. So, man, I'm just just really thankful. Um, uh, one thing we're going to be doing this fall, a little bit of family news before we jump in, is we're going to be praying once a month. Um, so if you're interested in that, you'll be able to contact Beiju and others. Uh, information is coming out on that uh, in the coming days here. And uh, next Sunday is going to be the first time we just we get together uh, and few of us just pray uh, that the Lord would continue to do the work that he uh, has begun here. I believe our, <clears throat> our eyes have uh, adjusted to the darkness a bit too quickly, that the darkness of our world has become a bit too natural to us. I went to a funeral yesterday of my grandfather. And that's just normal now, isn't it, to go to a funeral. Uh, we just think that's part of life. Like we think the brokenness of this relationship is kind of just part of life or, or the guilt and the shame that we can't shake is kind of just part of life and, and all these things we hope for and, and the gap of unmet expectations, what we've been talking about the past few weeks, well, that's just part of life, that's just normal. And what we're trying to remind ourselves even in this series is that's not normal. People aren't supposed to die. The way that God created his world uh, to, uh, to carry on and, and, and for us to live is, is into all of eternity where we would enjoy life with him forever. There, there'd be no death, no sorrow, no tears, right? But what we know in our lives is that it's kind of unmet expectation after unmet expectation. That there's these gaps of how we want things to go and, and maybe even uh, in reality how things ought to go in a way where there is no death or tears or sorrow or sickness, but instead we see the opposite over and over again. So what do we do? And, and that's what we've been saying. And that's why we're doing this series uh, in this season. Why even if, even if, it's the kind of faith we want to have even in a season like this where we are trusting God when life disappoints, overwhelms, or just doesn't make sense. You know, I, I found myself, like, even at the bus stop feeling this kind of even-if gap, right? Like, uh, uh, only if, my goodness, only if uh, COVID hadn't happened this past year and a half, right? I'm at the bus stop. My little one's crying his head off because he doesn't want to go to school. Uh, and because and he's scared, he's wearing a mask. He shows up. Everyone's got masks there. He can't talk to his teacher or his friends. And, and everyone's distanced. And it's just not normal when we say, Dang, I wish life wasn't like this. And that's even kind of like a little trite example compared to what some of us are walking through. 
And what we've been saying in this series is we want to have a faith, man. We want to have a faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, an even-if faith. That trust in the ability and the character of our God in the gaps of unmet expectations. Remember, this was the first week a couple weeks back. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand before Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon's erected this idol for them to worship. And, and he says, if you don't bow down and worship, you will burn in this furnace. And, and they respond, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. He is able. We know who our God is. But if not, even if he doesn't deliver us, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship this golden image that you've set up. <laughs> because we know our God is not just able, he is good. And if he chooses not to restrain the fires in this moment, this season of my life, uh, uh, even then we will worship him and follow him. Even then. He's able and he's good. We trust him, we love him, we worship him, we follow him. It's the, it's the kind of faith we talked about wanting to have in this season. The last week we looked at what, but sometimes we function in this only if faith. Like in the moment of unmet expectations in our present, what we say to God is, no, we're going to place conditions on our faith. And only if you do this, then I'll follow you. This week, we're going to kind of go back into the past, right? Uh, if only moments of regret, when that gap of unmet expectations, we look back in our life and we say, ah, if only I didn't do that. I didn't say that. I didn't make that phone call. I didn't go visit that person. If only I had not done that kind of thing which has this now guilt and shame and cataclysmic effects in my life. If only I had not done that. Or, or if only this has not happened in my life. If I was kind of born into a different kind of family with a different kind of dad. Or if only I'd been able to get pregnant back all those years. Or if only I'd found my mate. Or if only this had happened. Man, my life would be so much better. I'd be enjoying and following and loving the Lord so much better than I am now. So today we want to look at if only kind of faith, which is a counterfeit kind of faith. It's not even if faith. In the light of unmet expectations in the face and before our good and able God. So what we'll do is we're going to look at, really, uh, two of Jesus' best followers. I mean, these were like the cream of the crop, Paul and Peter. And we're going to see, man, they even have a laundry list of regrets they can look back in their histories. And then we're going to say, or, well, how, how does uh, Paul, what's his principle of, of living in the present in a way that he can move past his regrets? Like, how do we live this kind of even if faith in the moment, not this if only and get stuck back here and, and it paralyzes us or, 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 or compels us by guilt rather than grace? How do we live this new principle when we think about our past and live in freedom and joy and obedience even if this is who we are, where we've been, and what's happened back there? So let's do it this morning. Uh, let's look at these uh, two followers of Jesus and, and their laundry list of regrets. 
Uh, first, let's begin with Paul. Now, this is the passage we just read out of Philippians chapter 3. You can turn there. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. This is Paul's life, and, and what we'll see is a laundry list of regrets. <laughs> Our passage began this morning in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this, or I'm already made perfect. I have not gotten to the place, into the time, into the resurrection, the newness of life when all will be made right. I'm not yet there. I'm not in the place where death is no more. I'm not in the place when all my expectations are met in Christ and I have joy abundantly. There's no tear. There's no sorrow. I'm not yet there. And then he goes back and he says, let me tell you kind of where I've been, right? We're going to back up into the passage, into chapter 3 and following. He's saying, because I'm not yet to where I want to be, let me tell you where I've been. Let's look back at my past and the things I did. Man, I'm ashamed of them. Of the things that happened to me. Man, I question where was my God. Let's look at his laundry list. He, he begins in chapter 3, verse 4. I myself, he had reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence, he, he says, look at who I was. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, like cream of the crop, Jew of Jews, Hebrew of Hebrews. As the law, I was a Pharisee, right? Uh, in, the, in the school of Gamaliel, the, the best school with the best teacher, I, I, I had it all. I knew the law and I knew how to live it out. As a zeal, a persecutor of the church, as a righteousness under the law, blameless. You can, you can almost see uh, Paul when he looks back. He's like, man, I could have been a somebody. I was a lawyer in a sense, right? Like I was, I was the cream of the crop, the tip of the top. Like I, I should have been somebody. And then he also looks back and he's like, oh, man, but also when I think about what I was doing in my life, I was stacking up accomplishment after accomplishment to say, I'm good enough to stand before God and I'm good enough to stand before you. God comes in, he shatters it all, right? Like he says, I, I should have been a somebody. I was a big somebody, right? I, I could have been a, a somebody at the top of my business. And, and actually, oh my gosh, I realized I was stacking it up in a sinful, a woeful, what a kind of man I was. And then he looks back, right? If, if you know Saul's past, his, his name has changed to Paul. He mentions it even in this list. He says, I was persecuting the church. I was really going for it against God's people. Let's just go to one of those instances. When he looks back at his past, a laundry list of regrets. They could have been. They could have been paralyzed, and they could have captured him in guilt. They could have compelled him by guilt. They could have changed his future in such a negative kind of way. This is Acts chapter 7. The stoning of Stephen. you got this young guy who's following Jesus, and he's going out, and and he stands before the people in Jerusalem, and he shares the whole history of God's people, and then he gets to Jesus, and he starts talking about Jesus. Stephen's going, and, and the people are listening, and now when they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth. And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And what, what do the people do? Verse 58 of chapter 7 in Acts. Then they cast Stephen out of the city. They stoned him. 
They take stones, big and small. Uh, uh, the ones who can handle it take bigger stones. And first they throw the small stones at him and start knocking him out and unconscious. Then the others start piling bigger stones on him outside of the city. Crushing him, killing him. The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man there named Saul. Saul standing by as Stephen is stoned. They were stoning Stephen. He calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Don't hold this sin against them. Chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. You see it in his past? Approving of the execution of this young man is is the cloaks of the man who's been stripped naked and is being covered with stones outside of the city. He stands there approving of it. And Saul goes on, verse 3 of chapter 8 in Acts, but Saul was ravaging the church. Entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Can you imagine looking back in your past and seeing that? Ah, if only I had not. It doesn't just explain who I am. This now defines who I am. I'm captured in that moment in the present in such a way that, man, I just got to live my whole life to make up for it. No one can know about this. I got to cover this up and I got to make up for this the rest of my life. If you know Saul's story, um, Jesus breaks in and just takes hold of his life in a profound way. The resurrected Christ comes in and, and, and opens Paul's eyes and then blinds him. And, and then he comes to know Jesus and he follows him the rest of his life. And you think, man, yeah, now it's going to get good. His past is going to look crisp and clean. This is going to be great. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 this is Paul. He's looking back at his life. He's, he's talking to the Corinthian church, and he says, let me tell you a little bit about my past. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift. Do you, do you see? He's like, not only like, he, he counts himself the chief of sinners, right? He's like, man, I know what I've done in my past. I'm so ashamed of it. 1 Timothy 1, 15, it says, Jesus came to save sinners, and of whom I am the worst. But he also looks back in his past, and he says, and, and my goodness, it's littered with disaster. He's like, I, I came before the Lord and said, I want to serve you, and then I'm shipwrecked and beaten and put in prison multiple times? It's like Milton, right, uh, the 16th century uh, uh, poet, a British poet, one of the best, wrote Paradise Lost. He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to study to become an Anglican pastor and change the world for God. And then he goes blind. He writes Sonnet 19. And he's like, Lord, what are you doing? I I say I want to serve you, right, and then you bring this? 
Maybe it's because of what I did about you're punishing me for that or this. Maybe that's why. I tried to cover it up, but you know about it. You're punishing me. You're, you're sanctifying me. We use Christian language. Paul, laundry list of regrets, things I've done, things that have happened to me. He's like, I can't believe it. Uh, Peter is probably no different, right? Peter. This is the other kind of pillar of the church in the beginning of things, right? Jesus uh, launches ministry. Peter and Paul get after it in different uh, areas, Jerusalem and all over the world with Gentiles. And uh, Peter, in his calling, uh, we, we see Jesus comes up on Peter and his friends and brother, and he, he, he calls them to himself, and they're fishermen. And he's like, man, I could have been a lawyer, right? <laughs> like... But I'm a fisherman. I'm a nobody. I was, I was looked over, picked over. When all these Pharisees came to, to pick the cream of the crop, they didn't pick me. They picked guys like Paul. And, and here I am, a nobody. Never lived up to my dad's expectations. Sometimes our longings, our regrets are so sourced in who we were and ought to be and the fantasies of who we think we ought to be sourced in our families of origin. Peter's like, man, I'm, I'm just this nobody fisherman. And, and then he starts following Jesus. Maybe he'll become a somebody, right? Like maybe this is going to be his ticket in. And, and we see blunder after blunder in Peter's life. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, he goes out. He's walking on water. The waves come. He starts sinking. He's like, ah. And Jesus is like, you got to have faith. You got to have faith. Peter's saying, ah, oh, man, I just got to do better. I got to do better. Uh, uh, Jesus is, is talking about, he's, he's talking with Peter and the disciples. He's like, uh, this is in Matthew chapter 60. He says, who do people say that I am? And Peter's like, you're the Christ. And Jesus is like, yes, man, that is it. And then Jesus starts talking about how he's going to die for the sins of many. And, and, and Peter's like, no, this won't happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You probably don't want to hear that in your past. Peter's up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus is up there. He's glorifies in his glory, and you got Moses, you got Elijah up there, and it's just awesome. Peter's like, we should put up tents and stay here. And you can picture Jesus being like, what are you? Because next thing, Jesus is like, well, now we're going back down and make sure you, uh, you hear this. Listen to him. Keep following Jesus. And, and Peter's another dumb idea. Peter, what do we know him for, right? Three times denial before the rooster crows. That's what we know him for. Not just something that kind of explains who he is because of his past, but it's defining. Right? Like he... He says, we're with you, Jesus. We're going into Jerusalem with you. We're going to suffer with you. And then he stands before this little girl around a charcoal fire, right? It's this, this smell of the charcoals coming up on him and sticking to his clothes. And this little girl's sitting right there. And she's like, weren't you one of his followers? He's like, no, I wasn't one of his followers. He's three times he denies Jesus to the soldiers, to this little girl a couple times, even to the point where he curses her. He's like, be quiet. I'm not one of his do you see it? Like in their past, in our past, just these, these, these places in our lives, right, where we look and we say, if only I had not sin in my life. Mistakes, right, things I have brought on in my past. And then we also look back and we say, man, if only this had not then. 
if I hadn't done this or if this hadn't happened to me, then I could be walking in, in full obedience to the Lord, fully enjoying Him in this kind of fantasy life we create for ourselves. If it had just taken a different turn back then in, in the things I did or the things that were done to me, then I could be following Him fully and enjoying Him fully. We have funny words for it sometimes, right? Like uh, mommy guilt. You ever heard of that one? If I, were just, if I could have just parented a bit different, uh, then my kids would turn out a certain way, right? Then I'd be enjoying them more, uh, enjoying the Lord's gift of them to me more. If, if this wasn't true of my kid back here uh, and, and how it shows up today, then I could be enjoying it. Or Catholic guilt, right? Catholic guilt. We, got, we have to make up for or cover up things of our past. The past doesn't stay in the past. It doesn't just explain us. It's defining us. And we, what are our options? We, we got we to gotta cover it up. We got to cover it up. There's something we did back there that no one can ever know. And we cover it up and it eats away at our souls the rest of our lives. Or we got to make up for it. We have to stack good deed upon good deed to make up for something in our past. And our past understands our past. It controls our present and shapes our future. Sin or the brokenness of life in our past and our regrets shape us. All of us have these regrets lying deep in the heart. That end up, end up motivating us and influencing our behaviors in ways we're not always aware. I served with an incredible woman named Mary, says Pastor Mitchell, who was active in the church and infectious in her faith. She poured her life into high school girls, taking late night calls and giving up much of her time to disciple them. She basically set up a counseling office at the local Panera. We met regularly, and so I could get an update on her ministry. And at one meeting, she informed me that she was stepping away. I can't do this anymore, she confessed with tears flowing from her eyes. What happened? What do you mean? I was blindsided. <clears throat> she was one of my best leaders. And she says, I feel like I'm living two lives. Dread came over me as my imagination conjured a thousand scenarios of inappropriate behavior. I, I admit that instead of thinking about how to minister her, I became preoccupied with how to clean up whatever she's about to say. I'm carrying a terrible secret from my past. I'm so tired of living under the shame and hypocrisy of what I've done. She shared how before she met Christ while in college, she had been sexually active with her boyfriend. She'd gotten pregnant and was persuaded to abort the baby. It was a dark secret that she had carried with her for more than a decade, and she never told anyone, and the guilt was unbearable. As she shared her story, the question that unlocked the desires of her heart was a simple one. Do you believe that God has forgiven you, or do you believe that while saving you, he holds this still over you? Over the ensuing conversation, it became clear to both of us that so much of her service to the church flowed from the deep desire to make up for her past. to make up for our past. What, what is Paul's principle and how he lives in response to the past, knowing that it is full of moments where he said, if only this had not happened to me, if only I had not done this. 
What's the principle he lives by? Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, 12 and 13. He says, I'm not yet perfect, right? I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, sisters, I do not consider what I have made it my own already, but here it is. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind and, and straining forward to what lies ahead. This is his principle. Uh, forgetting what is back there, what we'll call gospel amnesia, right? Like forgetting what is in the past. Either, uh, oh, if only I had not, or if only this had not, or I could have been a somebody, right? Or, or I cannot believe that God would have allowed that to happen to me. Or I cannot believe that I did that in my past. I have to cover this up. I have to make up up for this. He says, no, you have to forget that. You have to forget that. How does he get there? Verse 7, if following, we back up into the soil that creates this principle, right, uh, that, that, that is planted in, that it takes root in. Whatever was my gain, these other things in my past, uh, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish. In order that I might gain Christ and what? Be found in him. Not be found in my ability to, to make up for my past or found in my ability to cover up my past and the regrets of my past and to, to make me me today by covering up or making up for these things back there, but instead to be found in Christ. To look back there and realize I have a righteousness not of my own, but a righteousness, a goodness that comes from Christ. Not from what I have done or not done in my past today or tomorrow. That I have a God who loves me so much to sacrifice his own son that I'm one with his son as a son or daughter myself because of his love, his faithfulness, ability, and goodness in my life through the person of Christ. He looks back and he says, all these things I want to forget or, or make up for or cover up, then I meet Christ in it. And actually, then I can forget and move forward because what do I realize? I am a new creation in Christ. This is how he defines himself. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. I love what Jesus does when he comes into these guys' lives. He changes their names. To Saul, you, you were defined by this or that in your past, but I'm making you new. Your name will be Paul. Simon, you could have been defined by this or that in your past, but I'm going to make you new. You're going to be Peter. He gives him a new name. How, how, how do we forget? Because uh, none of us should just say, oh, that didn't happen. That's not the kind of forgetting this is talking about. You see what Paul did. He backs up into who Jesus is and what he's done and then reminds himself, I have been found in him now. A righteousness not my own. 
a faith in him, a trust in him, a dependency in him. He, he takes his past. He has named his past. He names his past all over the scriptures, and then he collides it with the grace of Christ. He's honest in, in truthfulness about his past, about what he's done, uh, what has happened to him, and he brings that to the foot of the cross and to Jesus. The way we forget is we collide with honest truth who we are, what we've done, what's happened to us with the grace of Christ. We name it first. We name it. There's this great kind of funny passage in the book. Uh, Mitchell is at one of uh, his school orchestra concerts for one of his little kids in middle school. And he says, this time they were uniquely out of sync. <laughs> If you've ever been to a middle school concert, you know exactly what he's talking about. With a painful blend of out-of-tune instruments and young children whose motor skills were still very much developing, it resembled a colony of feral cats fighting over territory. At the peak of this cacophony, my middle son couldn't take it any longer. Faced with the noise and the fact that his rear end was going numb from sitting on the metal folding chair, he cried in his outdoor voice at the concert, This is awful. <laughs> Immediately I hushed my son. <laughs> As I looked around, surveyed the damage of his honest evaluation, listeners around us all sighed in silent agreement. <laughs> yes, this is awful. This is awful. We've taught ourselves in Christianity to glossy up the truth. Gramps didn't die, he passed on. Um, what I did back then, it's not that bad, I could probably just make up for it or I'll just cover it up and it'll be fine. No, no. Or this thing or that thing in my life that's happened in the past, and now, man, it's just a huge burden to carry. It's not that hard. I think we can make it. No, honesty before the Lord in, in the path to forgetting and gospel amnesia is first saying, this is awful, and naming it explicitly and specifically. Uh, when we do that with our sin, uh, the scriptures call that confession. If only I had not, right, uh, to come specifically uh, in our past to the Lord, to the cross, and say, this is awful. What I have done is awful. What has been done to me in someone else's sin is awful. The brokenness of the world, right, is the second one. If only this had not happened, the brokenness of the world is awful. It ought not to be this way. It sounds terrible. It feels terrible. The weight is too much to carry. It's terrible. It's first to come with honesty, naming it. Uh, as a pastor, sometimes I'll get this call. I get, I get it pretty often, and... Somewhere in the conversation, uh, the guy or the gal will say something like, do you think I need to tell her what I've done? Yes.
Because to the level to which you are known is the level to which you are loved and reshaped and made new and can forget the past, not because it didn't happen, because it is met in the grace of Christ and move forward into the future. Together in his grace, in reality, not fantasy, of making up for or covering up for the past. When we do this with sin, it's called confession. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 puts it this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Naming what I have done and turning from it into the grace of Christ and without regret we then walk into salvation and joy eternally. When we do this with what has happened to us, when this or that thing has occurred in our life, when we name it and we take it to the the grace of Christ and and to the very person of God, we call that lament. Listen to the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 17 and following. My soul, it's bereft of peace. I have no peace. I've forgotten what happiness is, he says. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. He says, it's awful. What has happened to me? What is the reality of my life? Like The gap of unmet expectations is awful. And then he says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, my soul says, therefore I will hope in him, even if, right? I don't know where you are this morning, if it's a need for confession and honesty of the past, or, or if it's a need for lament and honesty in the past, but, but we bring both to, to Christ at the cross. See, at the cross, what we're reminded when we name it, what is awful in our past, what is awful in our lives, uh, what, what, this regret that has taken hold of my life or is paralyzing me, I'm, I'm trying to cover it up or, or trying to make up for it. When we name it as awful and true and specifically in our life, at the cross, here's what we remember. He was broken for that sin. His blood was spilled for that sin. His righteousness at the cross all the way, when he obeyed the Father all the way to the the, the cross, his, his goodness, his righteousness was gifted to us by faith. You are forgiven. You have a new name. It's son or daughter. At the cross we're reminded. Gospel amnesia, right? When we bring something this or that that has happened to us in brokenness, shipwreck, right? Calamity. When, when the broken, sinful world that's collided with our life, we, we take that to the cross too. And there we're reminded when it looked like 
God was out of control and had stepped back and just the world and sin and evil was winning, there were reminded our God was winning and redeeming. And though you've lost hope, you can then declare, looking back at your past and walking now in the present, that you are walking not alone, but with your good, faithful, able God, who's made you his son or made you his daughter. So bring your sin to the cross this morning. Bring your your lament, the brokenness of your life to the cross this morning. Remember. how deeply you're loved by your God. What he's done to forgive you. That he's always with you and walking with you now and will walk with you to the day when there are no unmet expectations. Ushering you into eternity with him. If you're trusting in Christ, would you take and eat and remember that you are his son or daughter? If you're not yet trusting him this morning, would you just, would you cry out to him? Maybe it's a regret that would drive you there to his grace. Would you just cry out to him? Be forgiven. Be embraced. Be known. Let's take and eat and rejoice. Our Savior's body was broken. His blood was spilled. Now he reigns on high. And will one day make all things new. Let's take and rejoice.